The following sermon was preached at Liberty Baptist Church. We exist to showcase the glory of God by being and making disciples of Jesus. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood. And looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair. And having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the passing there, had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black, Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Robert Frost is the poet here, and he likens life to being like a series of choices that make up two different roads. There's a lot of choices, but kind of each choice is a road, but then everyone kind of makes their way to choosing one or the other road, and, and the decisions make all the difference. So some of you are like, why did this joker start with a poem? Um, is, that, is that really a good way to start a, a, a sermon? Um, let me shame you in, in only the way that a pastor can uh, and just say that God gave us poetry. Right? He gave us um, psalms, he gave us lyric, and he gave us different gears, if you will, narrative, literature, poetry, uh, letters, and one of them is, is poetry. It's wisdom literature, and it has a different gear in the soul, um, and God sees fit to, to do that. And so you could say uh, a song moves us differently than a story does, but they both can still be true, and they both can still move us. And so last week we looked at... Um, uh, Wisdom literature, again, but it was Proverbs 12, and this week we're going to be looking at chapter 13. Um, And we said last week, and it's the same this week, that wisdom, to choose the wise road, is the the righteous road. Um, And the Lord has given us uh, this road before us to help us see it by giving us all this wisdom literature, these poetry books, Ecclesiastes, Song of Psalms, Songs, or Psalms, excuse me. Um, And it's to be a companion with us along the road of life as we kind of slosh around and muck through life, um, trying to make our way, trying to make a wise way. Every choice that comes at us, every penny that we spend, um, every moment that we have, calendar invite, social media post, wisdom is with us, trying to help us make um, good decisions. And we see that that is preeminently through Jesus Christ. Uh, You will never be wise in any way, shape, or form if you don't have Christ. There, it's, it's just cut off from you. It's impossible to be wise. But with Christ, it's still something to be cultivated. Um, we're not just, when we're saved, we immediately become a wise person or a sage or something like that. It doesn't happen. Um, but this idea of the road that we're on helps us kind of see this. And the Proverbs is, if not the best, one of the best uh, pieces of literature in the Bible to help us do it. So last week, we looked at 28 different wisdom bombs, dropped them on you. Uh, and this week, we're going to be looking at 25 more. Um, after the sermon, Rachel Rose, Pastor Nathan's wife, she said, what were they called? Wisdom bangs? You know, like, wisdom bombs, Rachel, but you are funny. I will give you that. Um, so, what are my, what are my goals? Uh, I do want you to be wise, more wise, by the end of the, the two weeks. But then secondly, uh, I want you to be more 
uh, confident when you're engaging the book of Proverbs, that you don't just kind of go, oh man, I'm in my devotion time, and Proverbs, and you just move past um, and get to Paul, right? So I want to help you think through something that would be uh, a useful way of reading the book, um, and then just give you kind of a feel of, of how they work, and then you, you too can read Proverbs, okay? Uh, so without further ado, chapter 13, verse 1, a wise son responds to his father's discipline, but a mocker doesn't listen to rebuke. Uh, so a wise son is forged, it seems, in the fires of his father's discipline. But a mocker, uh, the, our cultural equivalent of an idiot, right? That's the idiot. Uh, a stiff-necked kind of trash talker. He doesn't hear correction. Um, correction uh, is, should be your greatest friend, one of your best friends, and that seems to be clear from this, but the mocker doesn't make it so. So Proverbs apply to all of us in various ways, depending on who the subject is and kind of who the main characters are, and it's going to apply to all of us a little bit differently. So if you're a child in here or you're a teenager, um, this one comes home and says, hey, listen to your parents. It's pretty clear. Listen to your parents. Always consult with them. Um, if you're, and I know everyone comes from different scenarios as far as what your parents are. Some of them are not Christians even. Um, but especially if they are godly, if they do love Christ, you, you should trust their counsel. God gave them to you providentially for a reason, right? And we all have to kind of make our way on that. Uh, if, if you're an adult, what I think is being said to us here is assemble friends and people around you who are not negative Nancys or critical Carls, um, but those who are willing to point out weaknesses and sins in your life. They're, they're not that great of a friend to you if they're not willing to help you grow in godliness. And he's saying, you know, grow in this idea of discipline. You want to have wise counsel from your parents, but then just in general, as, associate yourself with people that are going to help you walk in godliness. And I, I'm not the oldest man in the room, um, but as I have gotten older, I have less and less value knowing that life is short for people that are just associating with me by affinity, right? Like we, we go out fishing together or we hunt together or our kids are the same age or we're the same age. I just, is not, biblically, is not much of a value. I value more and more and more people who will speak straightforwardly to me that when I am sinning against someone else that they will point that out and that they'll confront me in it. I, I want correction. And even if I don't want correction, I want to want correction, right? I mean, that, I have a heart posture that, that that's the thing. Notice here in the, in the verse that the father doesn't control what his son does with the reproof. He doesn't have any control over that. But he himself is supposed to discipline this son, but the son is responsible for whether he plugs his ears or not. We talked last week, and we'll do it again this week. One helpful way, and this isn't exhaustive by any means, but when you're reading through the Proverbs, these are three questions you could ask yourself with, with, with each one. Um, who and what are the subjects? Who and what are the subjects? So verse 1 here, the wise son and the mocker. They seem to be the characters, right? But then the subject is favor and condemnation. That's what's um, being brought about. Uh, second question is, what does the author mean? So I mean that pretty broadly, loosely. What's, he, what's his ultimate get at, right? So he's talking about the mocker in this one, but his goal is that you not be that guy, right? So what does he mean? He means be the wise son who listens to the reproof of his father. Uh, so his, his ultimate goal is 
through the gauntlet of his father's rebuke, a wise son can be made. If he walks through that, an idiot son plugs his ears. That's, that's pretty clear. The third question is this. Who do I look like? Which side of the comma am I on? Um, am I the fool? Am I the wicked person? Am I the wise person? Or at least seeking wisdom, right? Uh, you could ask further on that. Who does my church look like? Um, who, which character is my husband playing? Which character is my child playing? And you're addressing these Proverbs, and they, they move 360 around your life in those ways. So those three questions, who and what are, my, are the subjects? Uh, what does the author mean? And then who do I look like? Those would just be helpful ways to engage the book of Proverbs. Uh, 13.2, from the fruit of his mouth, a person will enjoy good things, but treacherous people have an appetite for violence. So there's an unstated person here. It's the righteous or wise type of person, but then a stated person, the, right, the treacherous type. Um, if your mouth, well, the point is, if your mouth were likened to a tree and you use your mouth for good, you'll reap a good harvest, typically. It doesn't, it doesn't speak exhaustively that nothing's ever going to go wrong with you, but it's just saying you're going to have good fruit, um, relationally, those sorts of things. A traitor, though, he's going to eat violence. Because he uses his mouth this way, that will be the fruit of his talk, and it's going to bring about these sorts of things. 13.3, the one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Uh, the person whose mouth is ever open will be ruined. So not the road you want to take, right? Um, I will be, I'll speak forthrightly to you. This one is a rebuke to me. I can talk with the best of them, especially for a dude, all right? So it's not a good thing if you're, amen, if, you're, uh, if your mouth is just constantly flapping, and I, I think that um, the, a person who really well exemplifies this proverb uh, in our church is Pastor Brandon Freeman. Um, and, I mean, he knows uh, when to keep his mouth shut, and he's going to wait and see what's happening until he makes a judgment, right? And so that's wise. He's being wise in that. And so you don't want to be the person uh, who bets on just opening my mouth and letting it fly and venting kind of whatever I want. You, to be conservative and wise would be to say, I'm just going to sit back and try to keep my mouth shut until I know what ought to be done here and, and said here. So it could be a rebuke for some of us. Maybe we should just talk less, right? Number four, or 13.4, the slacker craves yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. So the slacker and the diligent are the two people in subject, and fulfillment is the theme. So the slacker, uh, he will have nothing in the end, right? He craves, but does not obtain. So he wants stuff, but he's a slacker. He can't pull it off. He's not diligent enough to bring about its ends. Um, he has, but the diligent, he'll accomplish his desired ends in, in the grace of God and in the power of God. He has foresight and the fortitude to, to pull it off because he's got diligence. Um, so at the end of your life, question for you, what will you be fully satisfied with? That's a further uh, extrapolation of it. What are you wanting to be satisfied with? Not only do you have diligence, but what do you want to be diligent toward? Number five, verse five, the righteous hate lying, but the wicked bring disgust and shame. Righteous and wicked are the categories, uh, or the persons, uh, and then lies are the subject. Uh, I've noticed something. There's a characteristic about righteous people, Christians, 
Um, they don't even entertain people who lie. It's just not the kind of people that they're going to associate with outside of evangelism. You don't bring them into your con- uh, confidence, and they're rarely in their presence. On the other hand, I've noticed a characteristic about the wicked, and we see this in the proverb, they stink up and pollute everything they touch. It's just they're the, the opposite of the Midas touch, right? They're just messing everything up all the time, and they stink and they make places stink like them, right? Number six, verse six, the righteous, righteousness guards people of integrity, but wickedness undermines the sinner. So the person of integrity, uh, the blameless person, and the sinner are the categories of person, but it's a bit different here. Uh, their deeds or their ways are the subject. So righteousness is what uh, people of integrity do. Wickedness is what sinners do. It a lot of times in the Proverbs, it's just the subject, the person is the wicked. But here it's saying sinners are wicked. They do wickedness. Righteous people, uh, they do righteousness. A blameless person is righteous. So uh, what's the point? The person of integrity has a safety net all around them, and it is their righteousness. It actually guards them because... They've made good choices, and those good choices are kind of the bed that they're laying in, and it's a soft bed. It's a good bed. It protects them. Um, He can laugh deeply. He can laugh loudly. He has no fear uh, in life because he's not worried and always looking in the rearview mirror that some wickedness is going to catch up to him because he's lived in righteousness. He's blameless. He may be persecuted. That's a different thing. He's not concerned about that. He's he's living in integrity, and, and it guards him. The wicked are not so. Um, even their soundest efforts leak and erode. Everything they do is, is going to go badly for them, right? In the end, especially. Um, their business is undermined. Their relationships are undermined. They're always strife and, uh, you know, being difficulty is dogging every step that they have. 13.7. One person pretends to be rich but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor but has abundant wealth. Um, At first, what the Proverbs do is you kind of like meditate on them and you try to work your way over, maybe even read a couple different translations. You work your way over to what is he getting at? Like what's his goal? And my first couple glances at this, I thought it was about humility, trying to cultivate humility. There's a person who looks wealthy but, um, but he doesn't show it. It doesn't actually seem to be about that. What I think he's trying to do, he's not trying to lecture us on the the moral good of having like a lot of money uh, or even humility, though that would be worthwhile. What he's doing is he's saying, don't judge by appearances. It it can be deceptive. So be wise. Don't just judge on what your first thought is, what your first glance at a person is. Um, uh, One time Clyde and I, Clyde Lyle and I met at a a Wendy's to get a four for four. this is a meal where you can get fries, nuggets, a burger, and a drink for $4, just so you know. Um, we were studying through a book together, and he and I had a conversation, uh, and we took it out into the parking lot because we were both headed back to work. And I was at work that day, so I was in a blazer, and um, uh, it was hot. It was in the summer, and I remember I took my blazer off and threw it in the back of the car, but I had short sleeves on. And in a way Clyde could only do, he's like, oh, you know. It surprised him. He, he thought that, you know, I was classier than I actually was. But I, I'm, I was capable of, you know, fashion treason beyond all his recognition. It's just like trashy as possible, right? Um, so, so he's judging by appearances. That was not a moral thing, right? 
Um, but he's just judging by appearances, and it wasn't what you thought it was, right? So that's what Solomon's trying to tell us, is we just want to be careful, get all the data in before, before we know. Um, everyone's not as naturally cool as Clyde, okay? So, um, all right, 13.8. Riches are a ransom for a person's life, but a poor person hears no threat. Another kind of tough one here, but it seems to be this principle of, like, mo' money, mo' problems. That, that seems to be what's going on. Um, and he's, uh, he's not necessarily making, again, this statement on moral goodness of, of wealth or anything. Uh, his point is more so that money's actually not all it's cracked up to be, right? At least if you're poor, this seems to be kind of the statement, at least if you're poor, you don't have to worry uh, with questioning whether people love you or not, um, or whether that's going to you know, bring you into some devastation. You could say this, another way of looking at this one is, does money... Uh, do you have money? Do rich people have money, or does money have them? Right? There's a lot to worry with with money. Uh, nine, the light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is put out. So just as in um, an ancient house right, that's not lit with electricity, uh, a tall, long candle like with a long wick, it would remain aglow long into the night. And he's saying that's what the righteous are like. They're going to give life and light to everyone for a long, enduring amount of time. Um, they will receive covenantal blessings of the Lord. Uh, their Lord will protect them. Their righteous deeds will go before them and protect them, their relationships, their assets, their family. Not so with the wicked. Uh, the wicked are more like a short candle with a short wick. Um, their wickedness will snuff them out. It will come and, and envelop them. Um, so we're presented with this question, who are you? What is your life shaping up to be? I'm not talking about your physical health. I'm saying, what does your life look like? Are you the, the, the long candle that's going to you know, give light to everyone and, and be good? Or is, or is your life going to be snuffed out? And which road are you on, friend, is the question. Ten, arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. So don't cut yourself off from advice and counsel. That's pretty clear. Um, listen to the older saints in our church. Seek them out. Listen to them. Ask for wisdom. Listen to the counsel of your parents. Listen to the counsel of the elders uh, of this church. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. Not listening, right? But wisdom is gained by those who take advice. You're listening to advice, you observe it, and you try to employ it. So ladies uh, in our church, listen to the advice of other older women. This is Titus 2. Seek them out. Um, there are multiple groups in our church. Miss Rachel Rose is leading one. I know Mallory meets with some gals, and there's tons of other ones. Uh, but where women get together just for mutual understanding and trying to read a book together or, or a, a passage together and grow in wisdom, so receiving advice. Uh, young seminary guys um, meet up regularly with uh, the Val Tkarchuk's of the world, Mark Turnage. Ken McLean, Gary Crowley, and a and hundred others, right? So learn from other people who are further down the road in parenting or career or whatever, um, fathering, husbanding. One thing you could do, just a, a suggestion, start with the book of Colossians. This will be a good reason to get together. So just take the book of Colossians, meet for four weeks in a row, and read it a little bit before you get there, and then talk about it. Um, when you get to chapter 3, talk about your sin. Talk about what the Lord is blessing in your life. Um, just get together for counsel and advice and, and let the Lord lead that conversation and he'll bless it. 
Number 11, wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle, but whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. So the point, quick and illegitimate money will not stand for long. That, that's the idea. And I think you could imagine something, like uh, there's an imaginary person here who gets money, we could say in our culture, say by being a drug dealer or something like that. The, the emphasis isn't on even how he got the money. The point is what he would do with it when he got it, right? And if he's that kind of a moral fraud, if you will, then he's going to not handle it very well when he gets it. And so it's just going to dwindle away. It's going to erode and he's lived his life uh, kind of like thunder, and now he's going to crash like lightning. That, that's the, the idea going on. But not so with the righteous. They build up um, this sum of money, uh, and it's going to be good to the glory of God and to the help of others. That, that's the point. Um, by way of hard, slow, strategic, benevolent work and strategy, they'll likely have the wit about them to hold on to their money and maybe even build some interest to help others out continually. But, but they would be benevolent with it. Twelve, hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. On one side of the comma, you have a heart-sick person, um, and then on the other side, you have a glad-hearted, heart-fulfilled person. So uh, the proverb doesn't say that every desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It's actually assuming that you're charging up uh, the proverb with proper biblical categories, um, godly desires. And it's saying when those godly desires are fulfilled, they're a, they're a boon to you. They're actually a great good to you. They're a tree of life to you. Um, but nonetheless, uh, if you see a heart who is experiencing delay in, in the Lord's kindness and some sort of blessing, you are observing a, a broken heart. And, it's, and, and Solomon's saying, observe that. Don't come in and crash it more by saying, you just need to find your way to Christ and me, like he's everything. That is true. Man, is it true. But Ecclesiastes is saying, weep with those who weep. Sit, engage in that moment with that person or season um, and walk with them. And they are, their hope is delayed and it is difficult you know, on them. Um, so we, we want to weep with those who weep. So question for you, what is your heart sick over this morning? Is it a God-honoring thing? If it is, a God-exalting desire, then keep hoping, keep praying. It's, that's good. We don't know uh, all of what the Lord is doing. Why does he delay all the time? I, I don't know. Um, but you don't have to stop hoping. You don't have to stop praying if it's a God-honoring thing. Um, but then there's other things that we hope for and desire that may not be very godly or, or, or Bible honoring in any sort of way. They're just things that we don't have and we want them. And what I'd say to that, I think, is that God has given us everything. We see this in First Peter, uh, everything for life and godliness that, that we need. And so it's a backwards way, a backdoor way, this Proverbs of, of, a proverb of getting at contentment. So he is enough. He is more than whatever that thing is that, that you're after. 13. The one who has contempt for instruction will pay the penalty, but the one who respects a command will be rewarded. Um, this proverb assume, seems to assume positional authority. This is a huge category in my life in the last seven or eight years that I've kind of grown, I think, in my understanding and, and um, I guess, respect for. But uh, there are, what, it, what it's pointing at is there are people in our lives, so bosses, Husbands, 
judges, government officials, mommies and daddies, uh, pastors, uh, that are called, that you are called upon by God to be submissive to. It's just a fact. It's a biblical fact. So let me be careful. I don't mean by that submission, um, mindless doormat, and I sure don't mean following them into some sort of blatant sin. But it is submission nonetheless. And they've been put in a position of authority at time. Well, I mean, all those categories I just talked to you about, that God is going to judge them for their position. And so you are required to be submissive. And we're told here that we will flourish. The one who has contempt for instruction will pay the penalty, but the one who respects a command will be rewarded. There's this flourishing that comes behind respecting and honoring positional authority. So we walk by faith, not always understanding everything of why decisions are made or what have you, but we don't walk by sight, right? We walk by faith saying, okay, the Lord's put this person in my life. 14, a wise person's instruction is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. So this one breaks the pattern that we talked about last week. We talked about they typically, the Proverbs go kind of da 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 comma, da 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 That's typically what happens, right? Y'all want to say it again? We'll, we won't, we won't. When I said it, everyone's like, um, so it, that's the p- typical pattern. This one breaks that pattern. Uh, it, it has more of a building effect to it, right? So the result uh, of a person's counsel, or excuse me, of a wise person's counsel is life, uh, a, um, a building effect, uh, and it's like a fountain of life, and it keeps on bringing more and more and more. So it's a stewardship thing, propounding interest, uh, you get inertia moving, and, it, and it's supposed to build if you do it this way, right? So the point, hook your life up uh, to wise people. Find them um, and ask them about their relationships and uh, their, their money, their parenting, and all these categories that the Proverbs seem to talk about, how they use their conversation and their talk. Fifteen, good sense wins favor. But the way of the treacherous never changes. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous never changes. Here again, uh, we see very clearly this concept that, that Solomon keeps putting forward to us, that life is like a path, a road, or one's way. And one road, this wise and righteous road, will be evidenced by good sense and will result in favor from the Lord and favor from others. Uh, and you could say that that favor that's coming from others, that's still just favor from the Lord. The other road, the path of the wicked, uh, the fool, is filled with backstabbing, uh, presumably disfavor from man and certainly from the Lord, and it ends in ruin. That's not a good road. Don't take that one. Don't exit here, right? 16, every sensible person acts knowledgeably, but a fool displays his stupidity. Uh, The fool here is a word, it's a dullard, right? One's deeds show which road one is on, even if it's not known to that person. So I I observe unbelievers constantly, and I know what road they're on. Uh, They don't even maybe think of it that way because they're not familiar with this biblical concept, but their their deeds are showing what way they're on. And a wise, and you could use a woman here, a wise and sensible woman will wield her knowledge for the good of all those around her. She'll act um, on her data that she has, and then she'll use it well. But the fool, um, the dullard, by her actions displays just how stupid she is. She takes knowledge and hurts herself, hurts other people with it. 
Uh, one commentator said uh, of this verse, the product proclaims the man, right? That's, that's what the meaning is. 17, a wicked envoy falls into trouble, but a trustworthy courier brings healing. When I was a little kid, uh, we went, my, on my dad's side, uh, we went um, uh, camping. I was going to say tenting. Um, <laughs> like, that's not right. Um, so we went camping and uh, we, it was near a river, and so I was out like walking around this river, and there were multiple layers in this river of how high the water had been at various times, and so it created sort of this wall, and so there's rocks everywhere, and I'm just you know throwing rocks, skipping across the water, whatever. And uh, at one point, I, I grabbed one and I threw it as hard as I could against one of these side walls, and it ricocheted right back at me. And I tried to jump out of the way, and it and it hit me in the in the foot, and like probably broke some stuff. But I didn't ever get it looked at like a good young man. Um, and uh, it I didn't expect it coming. Right, I'm throwing this thinking I'm perfectly safe, but it ricochets right back at me. Well, that's what's happening in this verse: a deceptive messenger, uh, one who carries, you know evil on behalf of others or maybe himself, it's going to ricochet back on him. It will not go well. And even if he gets through a couple of them, he won't get through all of them. And he's setting a a snare for himself. But the trusty messenger, the person who's honorable, faithful, they're going to bring about with their messages, uh, societal, relational, and community health. 18, poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore discipline, but the one who accepts correction will be honored. Uh, So this is another one on the value of discipline and correction. Uh, The ultimate point, gain self-control. You need to get self-control. That's with your money, uh, with your food intake, your words, your talk, your sexuality. You need self-control or you're going to burn your life up is the point. So it's this slow drip, though, kind of like a bucket. A slow drip of good choices will uh, fill that bucket up to honor. That's the idea. Like you keep making good choices, you'll, you'll receive honor. Um, the slow drip of those who cultivate uh, a hatred for discipline, they're going to receive difficulty and disgrace. It, it shouldn't surprise them, but it often does. And, and it doesn't surprise others who are watching it happen, right? But they're, they're ultimately going to receive this as their, their just ends. 19, desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste, but to turn from evil is detestable to fools. So um, it's good to have a, uh, a blessing, a gift from the Lord. There's, that's a good thing. What goes wrong is with, if we start looking at those gifts uh, as gods, right? And so desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste. If this is a godly desire, that's great. If God's blessing in some way, that's a beautiful thing. And, and he's blessing you. He, he's a good father. He gives good gifts. Um, sometimes when I'm uh, studying the Bible I just, I almost think I'm about to just go up into the heavens and never come back. I mean, just like kindnesses of the Lord, and that should be celebrated. But on the other hand, uh, the evil, uh, but to turn from evil is detestable to fools. A fool will uh, ever live a half-life, right? Even his gifts are not good to him because they're stolen away by his greed and by his envy. He's just living a half-life. It's not what it could be because he doesn't know how to receive them because he's not wise as Christ has designed for him to be. 20, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Um, so I, I give you another proverb to explain that proverb. This one's a modern one. 
You will never soar with the eagles if you are constantly flapping about with the turkeys, right? So if you want to be wise, I think Ben Franklin came up with that, but I changed it a little bit. Just Anyway, um, so if, if you want to be wise and you want to steward your life for Christ and steward it well, then you need to be with other people that are currently doing that. You need to find the most godly, most wise person you can, attach yourself to them, um, and try to grow. So ladies, if you want to grow in holiness, uh, serve and hang out with the most godly woman you see in the church. Right? Try to engage them and, and put yourself in their way. Uh, you know, Guys, if you want to be a more faithful husband or father, find the most loving, self-controlled, resilient, disciplined, hardworking man in this church and attach yourself to his hip. I mean, ask him difficult questions that he doesn't want to answer and try to learn Try to observe, else you'll be stuck flapping around with the turkeys. Um, okay, another thing that I, th- I would point out as well, if you want to grow in evangelism, then you're going to have to be around people who evangelize, and they do that well, and they do that consistently. So I'd, I'd point out three guys. There's, there's many more in the church. Tyler Sikora, Colin Fritz, and Seth Gillum. Uh, if you want to grow in your bil- ability to share the gospel, then go be with those people. They're the ones who are, are among the wise in those ways. Uh, 21, disaster pursues sinners, but good rewards the righteous. Disaster pursues the sinners, pursues sinners, but good rewards the righteous. Uh, the first time I played paintball, that blessed game, um, that monument to manliness, okay, I, uh, I came out for what's called a paint check. Uh, if you're familiar with the game at all, it, you, you play for a period of time, and then sometimes people get paint on them, and, the, and they're out, and you're supposed to check those off, and then you can go play another game. This is literally the first time I ever played. I was probably 10 or 11 or something like that. And I come out uh, walking very innocently, um, and we're doing a paint check, and some joker stayed in the woods and tagged me from in the woods, shot me right in the neck, it was horrible. I was like, oh, gosh, you know, and like we're trying to do paint check. I never saw it coming is my point, okay? It, I never saw it coming, and that's much how sinners are. Disasters pursuing them. They never see it coming, um, and then it suddenly overtakes them, dragging them down to, in the passage, down to death, ultimately. So at first, it's small deaths, relationships, financial ruin, whatever, but then ultimately, it's, it's ultimate ruin, and they never see it coming. They're just walking about their life. The righteous, good keeps coming to them in this passage. Um, It's the cumulative effect of a life lived in the good ways, on the good paths. They keep making good choices, and it's it's a good reward to them. Um, And that isn't always calculatable in your bank or or even in how people see things, what you drive. Um, In fact, it often isn't that. Um, It's the Lord's blessings in your life. 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So retribution actually seems to be the theme here. A good man uh, and a sinner are the two characters. So what does a good man do? A good man stewards his money in such a way as to leave an inheritance uh, for his children. He's careful about his money. Uh, A sinner's wealth will ultimately fly away to the righteous. So this is in the secret things of God. If, if you notice it in the passage, it's that God's saying it, that wealth that they accrued will ultimately find its way to glorifying me. Even though they were damned in the process, it's going to come to me. It's a fascinating thought that that wealth will actually be brought about to go to the righteous. Right? And God's going to take care of the righteous even with the wealth of a, 
of a wicked person later on that that will happen. 23, the, the uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food, but without justice, it is swept away. This is a tough one. Uh, it's got a couple like layers to it. Um, it does seem to be very observational in nature. He's saying, hey, son, I want you to look at this. I want you to see this in the world. And the first thing I want you to see is this. Injustice sweeps away the potential yield of the poor's field. Right? The poor, son, get caught up in the machinery. They get gummed up in the machinery of the economy. And then the second, so he goes, you got to notice that first. But then the second thing you need to notice is you don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to be a power monger and, and making and enacting laws that are breaking the back of the already weak poor. Their, their back is weak enough. Don't do that. You want to be one who's lifting them up and, and bringing about good in their life. 24. The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. So we want to handle this proverb with great care. I'm going to take just a moment to walk us through a couple more layers, actually, with this one than, than some of the others. So uh, we do have in the range of 23 babies coming to this church. So parenting is like on our mind, or they're already here, right? A couple of them have started coming. Um, so they're headed right at us, and they're headed right at our nursery. So uh, parenting is on a lot of our minds. Uh, the theme here is corporal punishment. So it is talking about spanking. There's no way to avoid that, nor should we. Uh, the plain meaning of the proverb is this. The mom or dad who fails to spank their child does not wish their child to flourish, but diligent discipline, spanking in this case, uh, is love. It's love. He's caring or she is caring for that child. Um, it's, it's a delayed care. It's not necessarily emotionally satisfying. Um, but it's a, it is love. So how, what kind of love is this? Let's inform it. It's, it's dignifying. This is not shaming children in, in the ultimate sense. It's not rash. It's certainly not uncontrolled. Uh, it's going to be filled with lots of hugs, lots of kisses, lots of gospel, lots of discussion, lots of love. So a uh, little further layer here. Why, why discipline? Uh, when we look at the whole scope of Scripture, we're looking at just this proverb, but let's think about all of Scripture. You discipline for disobedience. That's what discipline is for, physical, uh, this spanking. It's for, it's for disobedience, not for accidents, not for clumsiness, uh, nor do you spank when you yourself as a parent are annoyed. That's not what spanking's for. That's not what he seems to be thinking here. So accidents, rambunctiousness, and you know, being annoyed or not wise or loving reasons for this. Uh, spanking should never entail marks on the body of a child. Um, that's just, it's too much. It, it's, it's, it's verging, if not already, on illegal, right, and abuse. Um, we have to be wise about these things. So a couple things, and, and I can speak for Mallory and I and, and our family. Um, how, do, how do we spank? Um, it's a faith act, I don't always see. I'm trusting that the Lord is going to use this, so I don't, in, I don't enjoy it. It's a heart hurt almost every single time. Um, I trust the Lord that, that I'm going to live according to his word, and that's why I do it. It's by faith. It's not something that's gloried in. Um, but it is owned, and I, I trust the Lord in it. Um, so if I, don't, if I don't do that, one, one thing that I think parents often miss 
as, as Abby and Levi's parents, and then we have another on the way, what we're doing is we're, we're actually helping them honor their father and their mother and obey their father and their mother, which is sin if they don't, right? So I'm going to encourage them to do that, and I'm going to love them through that and, and walk them in those ways. And if I don't, I'm going to stand before the Lord on account for that. So, so we will say, Mommy and Daddy, actually, this is part of us following Jesus, is, is causing you to honor us, uh, causing you to obey us, um, helping you in those ways. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4, so there's some counterbalance here. Fathers, it says, uh, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So this discipline, it can't be brought about that, that it's inciting the child, right? That they're constantly angry against them. Uh, you, what I think this would work like is you don't want your child, your son, your daughter saying, I just can't win with you, dad. Like, even if they're not at that age that they can formulate it that way, if that's how they feel, you've, something's gone wrong. Right? You're, you're pushing them too hard, and they're, they're not feeling love. They're only feeling your discipline. They don't feel that you're for them. Uh, you don't want, as a mom, you know, I just can't win with you. There's nothing I can do. That, that's stirring them up to anger. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not exasperate uh, your children so that they won't become discouraged. Right? that the child is like wilting underneath your heavy hand. Right? That, that's what you're trying to invo- avoid. Um, many parents, I think, and I see this in the culture constantly, because they do not opt to trust what the Scriptures are saying and what the Lord is saying, uh, they, they won't pursue um, gracious, calculated, you know, kind discipline, this corporal punishment. What they end up doing is they capitulate to manipulation because they have no other recourse. And so they're psychologizing their child to death, trying to get them to do whatever they want them to do because they, there's no, there is no authority in their life. And so it ends up hurting them, and it's going to be a hardship to the parent and a hardship to that child in the end. Um, so a couple more things on this. So Ted Tripp has a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Um, I would encourage you to get that. It's on Amazon. I checked yesterday for $6. So pretty easily gotten. Uh, another one, Don't Make Me Count to Three by Ginger Plowman. That's another really good one. And Abby Wright um, is actually reading through this book currently. Um, and so I'm sure she would love to have another uh, member of the church, another lady, mom, uh, read that with her. 1325, a righteous person eats until he is satisfied, but the stomach of the wicked is empty. Uh, this proverb in many ways, it's our last one, it prefigures and finds its fulfillment in the final supper of the Lamb. It, 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 it is a picture of what will happen uh, with Christians in the end. And uh, in the early parts of, of Revelation, we actually see even a, another prefiguring of this. And he says, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. The King James says, Sup with him. Isn't that cool? This idea that we will be filled in Christ in the end, if we pursue him, if that's the road that we go after, then there will be fulfillment. Even if it's delayed now, that's where we will find our final fulfillment, and we walk by faith. We're trying to be wise by faith, and if that's the case, um, the righteous, both now and forever, will be filled in Christ, and it, it will not be so, sadly, with the wicked. They will be empty now, whether they see it or not, and they will ultimately be empty in a place called hell, and it will be forever. And that is not the road that we want to take. Jeremiah 31, these are 
man, the sweetest words in all of the Old Testament, maybe. I don't know how you calculate that, but um, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. This idea that we will be filled in Christ because he's forgiven us and brought us close. That's the road of the righteous. A couple takeaways here. Just three different things. Um, there's multiple things that it touches on, but I'm pointing up a few of them. So on money management. Money isn't all it's cracked up to be. That's one thing we see in these Proverbs. Uh, money can be harnessed for great good in the kingdom. We see that also. Uh, it's not to be wasted. Uh, we can use it for, for great glory to the Lord. If he's given you some measure of money, which all of us have some measure of money because we're in the room, right? Uh, somehow we made it here. Uh, then, then we can harness that for God's glory, and we want to be careful about that. Money can be squandered quite easily if you're not careful. We see that. On child rearing, we see uh, some of you in, in the room, you need to be careful and walking in the fear of the Lord uh, and diligently disciplining your children. Maybe you're, not, maybe you're rebuked uh, by this passage. Um, to fail to do this is to capitulate to sinfully coercing them or manipulating them. On the other hand, uh, no parent should be exasperating, much less abusing, their child ever, 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 ever. As, as, a, as a church, we will not stand for it, right, if we knew of it. Uh, I, this passage and, and we as a church are not condoning any sort of abuse. So we, we want to be careful. On cultivating wise counsel, pursue friendships with people who lovingly push you uh, in godliness. That's clear in this passage. Uh, consider getting together with a few church members and, and read through Colossians, maybe. That was one thing that we talked about. Let's conclude. Um, how, how does one get on the righteous road? How does one get on the wise road? It's through Jesus. No surprise if you've been here, uh, you know, found your way here because you were looking for Jesus. That's what we understand. Right? So Jesus says in, in Matthew, enter through the narrow gate, this gate at the end of the road, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. So, so how is it difficult? It's because faith is hard. Walking in Christ, walking the righteous, wise path is difficult. It's to constantly be looking at things like the Proverbs and being rebuked by how not wise you are, and just struggling your way through that, and you're saying, by faith, I... Jesus, will you forgive me yet again? Here I am Sunday morning. I made a mess of it this week. Help me. Help me. And what we see over and over again is that he's gracious and kind and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. That you come to him and say, will you, will you forgive me? I've walked the fool's road this week. Maybe you're an unbeliever and you've walked the fool's road your entire life and you've never even been confronted with it. And this morning, what I would want to say to you is come to Christ. Flee your sin, flee your sinful road, and go to Jesus. You have made a mess of your life, it is true. But he can save you from that mess and he can put you on a different road. And it will look different. I am a, I'm a picture of it. I was once on a very different road 
and, and he's changed my life, and he's brought a lot of kindness and gifts and things in my life that I don't deserve or never imagined. And so come to this Christ. 